You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, volume number 88, by Rudolf Steiner, translated by James Hines, entitled Concerning the Astral World and Devacon. This is the third lesson of a set of private lessons. It's the notes. I'm numbering it lecture 13.3 in the book, entitled The First, Second, and Third Logoi, given in Berlin, Schlachtensee, summer 1903. There's a bracketed uh, mention at the beginning of this that the beginning of these notes is missing. When the selfless stream in two cyclic emanations returns again to its starting point and matter is again dissolved, then nothing has happened other than that it has returned enriched to its origin. Only by taking up and overcoming the selfish stream will the selfless stream unfold such a strong pulsating development of power that it can go beyond itself, that is, beyond the cosmic circle that forms the first meeting of the two streams. In the flowing apart of selflessness, something new is born. A new region is called forth, Paranirvana, negative matter, because in opposition to matter that is held fast within the cosmic circle through attraction, negative matter is spread out outside the circle. We can picture this clearly if we visualize a pendulum swinging. The forward swing is immediately met by a backward swing and must, if it is not prevented by some hindrance on its way, swing back so powerfully that it goes beyond its starting point just as a wagon rolling forward cannot suddenly stop, but rather must roll a bit further. With this preparation and stepwise evolution of matter, the material constituents for the formation of a planet have been created, but the life on the planet cannot yet arise. Thus, the Logos could not abide in para-nirvana. It had to return, and on the path back it formed the Maha-para-nirvana region. The Logos had to make its sacrifice from here and once again begin circulating through matter so that other life outside of it but arising from it could come about. All life in its manifold forms came forth from unity, from the Logos. All diversity resides in it, but still unseparated, undifferentiated, hidden. Just as it becomes knowable, perceives itself as a self, it emerges from the absolute, from the undifferentiated, and creates the not-self, its mirrored reflection, the second logos. It ensouls and enlivens this mirrored reflection. That is its third aspect, the third logos. Thus the first Logos, the undifferentiated, in which life and form remain unseparated, is to be regarded as the Father. Time begins with His existence, 
He separates his mirrored reflection from himself, the form, the feminine, which he then fills with his life, the second logos. And from this ensouling emerges the third logos as the sun, as enlivened form. Thus all religions have thought their God in a threefold form, as Father, Mother, and Son. Thus Uranus and Gaia, Mother Earth and Kronos, time is the Son who came forth from their womb. The sacrifice of the Logos is, Spirit descends down into matter, ensouls its mirror reflection, and thereby the world of enlivened forms is given existence. These forms lead their own separate existence and pass through the cycles of evolution as highly evolved individuals in order to become once again one with the Logos, which receives through them a wealth of experience. If the Logos had not been poured out in order to enliven all these forms, then there would be no independent growth and becoming, no movement, no coming into being would have any independent life of its own. It would stir and move only according to the direction of God. Just as human beings are interested only in what is unknown in any given human being, the individual aspect, and everything they can already calculate and understand leaves them indifferent, so too the Logos can find joy only in independently evolving life, life that goes forth from it, for which it is sacrificed and to which it is devoted. The evolutionary process of matter begins, the process in which the qualities of beings are reflected and become active until these mirror images as separated forms themselves become active. And thus matter is more and more spiritualized, until it once again becomes one with the being of Atma, Bodhi, Manas. Bracket, words are missing, close bracket. At first the cosmic foundation was created through the coming together of the two characteristics, selflessness and selfishness, of the first Logos. The atomistic essence was created by the second stream of the same, guided by harmony. This essence surrounded itself with the already present substance of the mother, and the formation of atoms came about. Now these atoms, with their sheaths of various degrees of density, created matter step by step. Matter then could serve as a medium for the second Logos, which is a mirror image of the first. The second Logos now streams into this matter, which is on its first nirvana stage, of such a finely structured quality that it can stream unhindered and unchanged through it. It now arrives in the Bodhi region. Here it is held up, and even though independence in this realm is so strong that it does not want to hold fast to the Logos for its own kingdom, nevertheless it does claim the Logos for its entire cosmos. Here the sacrifice of the Logos begins. Voice and tone come forth from it. It wants to enliven matter with its spirit that its thoughts should have their existence as independent forms. This is where divine thought becomes tone and voice, in the Bodhi sphere. In the Middle Ages it was the kingdom of God. With Bodhi enfolded, 
the Logos now streams into the mental region, which is divided into the Arupa and Rupa steps. The divine world of thought is now poured into this mental region. The exemplary ideas weave through one another. What later becomes separate beings now still reside in the Buddhi sphere in the Logos. They are called into existence here as exemplary ideas. This Arupa step in the mental sphere is the idea world of Plato and the Middle Ages' world of reason. These ideas take on their first form on the Arupa step. They begin their separate existence as divine geniuses and weave together in a jumble. They still penetrate one another as similar spirit beings. This is the kingdom of heaven of the Middle Ages. These spirit beings now come into the astral sphere. Here, enveloped in a denser matter, awakened through the touch of feeling, they only now feel themselves as separate beings. They feel the separation. This is the elemental kingdom, the world of elementals. Descended into the ether sphere, this feeling is forced from within to the outside. It wells up is expanded and grows through the etheric vegetable force in order to be included then by physical matter in order to be crystallized. Because here selfishness is still striving with full force for limitation. Thus feelings are enclosed in the mineral kingdom and the divine ideas are sleeping in lofty serenity within the chaste stone. Stone a frozen divine thought. Quote, the stones are mute. I have laid the eternal creator word in them and hidden it. Chaste and full of modesty, they keep it enclosed within. Close quote. Thus was spoken an ancient Druid verse, a formula for prayer. Etheric and physical kingdoms in the Middle Ages are called microcosm or the small kingdom. While streaming in, the Logos was surrounded by increasingly dense sheaths until in stone it had learned to limit itself solidly. However, the stones are mute. They cannot reveal the eternal creative word. The rigid physical husk must be thrown away again. They remain in their realm while the crystal forms are expanded in their soft etheric sheaths. They grow outward from within. That is, they can live because life is growth. The stone becomes a plant. And further ascending, the Logos sheds this etheric sheath also and arrives at the sphere of astral feelings. Here, through interactive reciprocation of touching and perceiving, an activity unfolds. From feeling and willing, the feeling animal existence is formed. Thus the organs of perception are created when the impulse as feeling works inward. The various types are formed. Transitioning into the mental kingdom, this feeling perceives itself, and with eye consciousness the human stage has been achieved. From a cosmic point of view, the deepest descent into matter was achieved when the Logos flowed into the mineral realm. With the overthrow of the first husk or sheath, the ascent of the Logos was begun. 
But from the standpoint of human beings, in the anthropocentric sense, as it was assumed by the Druid priests, among others, the resting of the spirit in chaste stone was a lofty stage of existence. Untouched by selfish willing, the stones alone obey the laws of causality. For human beings on the lower mental step on which we now stand, stone would be a symbol of higher development. By means of lower earthly desires and errors, we develop ourselves into the etheric existence of the plants. We live and grow from within outward in self-understood selflessness in order later to live in our causal body, untouched by all that is outside, as pure spirit serenely resting within ourselves, just as crystallized spirit rests serenely enclosed in stone. The second Logos as mover and enlivener of matter, in which it is enclosed, has reached only up to the lower mental sphere. The sensing, feeling animal has, by means of eye-consciousness, achieved the human stage of evolution. It is able to bring the external world into a relationship with its personality. It perceives itself. Nature has brought and guided human beings so far, but now nature leaves them alone and in freedom. The further development of human beings now depends upon their own will. Human beings must make themselves into vessels and shed their external sheaths from the lower mental sphere so that they can receive the inflowing of the first logos, just as a seed is opened and awaits pollination, without which it cannot grow and bear fruit. The first Logos is the eternal in the universe, the unalterable law according to which the stars move in their tracks and which lies at the foundation of everything. The individual forms are subject to destruction and change. With our sensory, visual capacity, we perceive colors, which could appear differently to others with different visual capacities. The external solid objects whose parts are held together in a specific form can disappear at a certain temperature. Its parts can dissolve. But the law according to which it became what it is remains and is eternal. Thus the entire universe is moved according to eternal laws. The first Logos streams spread out through it. Human beings must raise themselves to it with their will. They must develop the selfless lower knowledge of the soul, antakarana. Through pure perception, they must learn to perceive this eternal, unchangeable law within the realm of the transitory. They must learn to distinguish between a transient appearance in a specific form and the essential nature of a thing. They must learn to take into themselves and preserve as a thought what they have seen. Thus they gradually learn the unreality of the world of appearances. Thoughts become the reality for them. Gradually they ascend to the arupastufa and live in the world of pure thought. For them the many are dissolved and disappear into the one. They feel themselves to be one with the universe. Then they will have raised themselves so high that they can receive the inflow from the first Logos immediately as intuition. 
but a single soul does not thus flow into everyone. No, it is the all-soul. It is the soul of Plato and others that they participate in, with which they become one in thought. Stepwise, the higher human being evolves out of the lower astral elements. At the turning point, when they should ascend to the heights in freedom through their will, human beings need a teacher. For this reason, in the third race of the fourth round, the Lemurian age, the sons of Manas descended and were incarnated in order to serve as leaders. The mental evolution began with simple numbers. Mental development began with an understanding for number and separated thinking human beings from the animals who could only feel with their senses. The end of Lecture 13.3